Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, nursing professor, and mom of four teens. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We will explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. My co-host for this series will be Pastor Brian Haynes, who will guide us through the spiritual impacts and help us grow our faith. Let's explore conversation keys together and get started. Welcome to episode 13 of the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, Eating Disorders, How to Find Healing When Food is Your Enemy. I hope you have your copy of Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues, and I hope by now you've shared it with a friend. We are talking about book chapter 12 today, the last chapter in the book. Can you even believe it? Well, today we are going to talk about this chapter in the book that has gotten literally the very least amount of questions. Yes, really. Out of more than 50 media interviews I've conducted, only two people have asked me about eating disorders. Those two people are Lisa Whittle on the Jesus Over Everything podcast and Kara Blondo in the One Thing Desired podcast. I'm giving them a shout out so you can go find those episodes and see what they had to say. So if you read the book, did any of you take my 17 magazine or People's Sexiest Men challenge? If you haven't, go back and search for the 17 cover or the sexiest man alive the year you were 14. You will see that times have changed, my friend. My covers for when I was 14 included a lot of Shannon Doherty and I wish so much that I was on video right now to show you what she looked like and then to show you me in my homemade dress. uh, That's cool again, by the way, to make your own clothes, and I love it, but I did not love it then. With my enormous bangs held in place with Aquanet or White Rain hairspray, let me tell you, my confidence level needed just as much support as my hair did. The point is that we faced insecurities about our image when we were growing up. We pored over teen magazines, obsessing over every detail, even hanging posters in our room of our teen idols to reinforce our ability to copy their image. But somehow today, if we're honest, we minimize our teen struggles in this area. We really do. Today, I see parents intensely fear gender identity struggles. We are intensely uncomfortable talking about sex, and it scares us. We are terrified of fentanyl. Talking about social justice rouses our inner passions and our fears that our children won't adopt our beliefs. But as parents, we're not afraid of eating disorders. There is no fear there. It's so interesting to really step back and consider the psychology of social pressures. Our fears are largely shaped around our perceptions of how we think these struggles will be perceived by others. 
Let me tell you, out of all the things we've talked about in the book, eating disorders have the least amount of social stigma. No, really. Let's pause here a minute and review. I'm going to give you a fair warning. This is going to hurt a little bit, me included. But let's think about the ways in which we judge people who struggle as we review what we've covered in Behind Closed Doors so far. Mental health. People are crazy or weak-minded. They're snowflakes who need to toughen up. Social media. Parents who let their kids have phones too early are irresponsible and weak. Parents who let their teens have Snapchat are naive. We've all seen teens use social media in what we perceive to be inappropriate ways, and we judge those teens and their parents. We do. How many times have you seen a teen shamed for a homecoming dress, or using language we find objectionable, or using a song we find inappropriate? Electronic aggression. People who are catfished are gullible and stupid. Cyberbullies are horrible people. Suicide is selfish and cowardly. Vaping is a disgusting habit. Using drugs to cope is pathetic. People who get divorced are self-serving or never should have married that person in the first place. Sexting is so trashy. Pornography is evil and vile, and people who engage are depraved. Social justice warriors are oppressive, narrow-minded, and judgmental. Genderqueer is just not natural. Ouch, I told you, that would hurt. But parents, really... If we really think about our words and unguarded moments, we are all guilty at some point of stereotyping and speaking negatively about these issues without remembering to realize these are not issues we are discussing, but very real people we are unfairly judging. Now hear me say this loud and clear. It's wonderful to have deeply held convictions, and it's okay to see the world differently. But we are called to remove the plank from our own eye before removing the speck in others. We are called to love our neighbors. We are called to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you, much less people who haven't done a thing to you at all. Now, getting back to eating disorders, here's the thing. How are people with eating disorders judged? I'm going to venture to say that if you imagine someone with an eating disorder right now in your mind, your primary emotion is not revulsion, fear, or anger. It's compassion. We genuinely feel badly for people struggling. It's socially acceptable to have disordered eating. Fad diets are glorified and monetized. Obsessing over body image is glorified and monetized and publicized on social media. I mean, wow, let's just think about that. And now add in this food for thought, pun intended. Of all the things we have talked about in this book, of all the things we judge, people with eating disorders are most likely to die. Yes, that is heavy. Eating disorders are the most deadly mental health disorder. Think about these statistics. 
It is estimated someone dies from an eating disorder every 62 minutes. Young people between the ages of 15 and 24 with anorexia have 10 times the risk of dying compared to their same aged peers. Males represent 25% of individuals with anorexia nervosa, and they are at a higher risk of dying, in part because they are often diagnosed later, since many people assume males don't have eating disorders. 58.6% of girls and 28.2% of boys are actively dieting. Despite similar rates of eating disorders among all teens in the United States, teens of color are significantly less likely to receive help for their eating issues. I interviewed a college-age student on a previous podcast I did called Team Pete's Talks, where she shared her experience of implicit bias and not being recognized and made fun of for eating ethnic foods. I would encourage you to go back and take a listen, and I'll post that episode in the show notes. In a study of Division I NCAA athletes, over one-third of female athletes reported attitudes and symptoms placing them at risk for anorexia. 40 to 60% of elementary school girls ages 6 to 12 are concerned about their weight or about becoming too fat, and that concern endures for a lifetime. Of elementary school girls who read magazines, 69% say that the pictures influence their concept of the ideal body shape. 47% say the pictures make them want to lose weight. In women hospitalized for an eating disorder, 36.8% regularly self-harmed. And one in five persons with an eating disorder will die by suicide. I could go on and on, but my question is, why are we as parents sitting around obsessing over issues that will likely never occur with our teens when the issue that is most within our control and influence is sitting unaddressed? I am guilty as anyone here. My daughters can tell you my good side for pictures. They can tell you I like portrait mode, what angles I like, and what body parts to minimize or avoid. If you're really brave, ask your teens what body part you are most insecure about, and I bet they can tell you in a nanosecond. You don't like your arms to show in pictures. You're self-conscious of your love handles. You don't like your chin. You don't like your legs. Ugh, 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 that hurts. Then we brush off our teens' body insecurities like they're nothing while deeply nurturing our own insecurities. Think. Lord of the Rings and my precious. It hurts. I want to go back to what I wrote in chapter 12 and take it a little slower. Re-examine this here. We live in a toxic environment that shames normal body shapes. What our teens don't know is this doesn't get better as we age. Moms jealously eye other moms dropping off kids at school and body-hugging yoga pants and crop shirts, revealing impossibly flat abs. We obsess over the appearance of any new wrinkle. We talk Botox and fillers. 
Dads self-consciously suck in their guts while standing on a youth sports field next to guys sporting bulging biceps and impossibly tight t-shirts and drinking muscle milk. Teens are watching all of this and taking detailed notes. Teens are incredibly sensitive to our self-perceptions. Your teen can likely tell you so quickly your specific physical insecurities. So it's time for a difficult heart check. Carefully consider the messages you're sharing at home about body positivity. Again, I'm guilty here. If I'm shopping with my girls and trying on clothes, I'll bemoan being fluffy before catching myself. It's really hard for all of us. And what I'm saying is that the best way to help your teen embrace body positivity is to love your own body, flaws and all. This is so much easier said than done. How do we accept and love our own bodies? Take some time here for mindfulness and thoughtfully answer these questions. Go back and journal about it if it's helpful. Do you believe the myth you'd be happier if you were thinner or more fit? How does your family use food to cope with stress? Do you listen to your body and only eat when you're hungry? Do you judge other people's bodies and compare them to your own? Do you follow social media accounts that make you feel badly about yourself? Do you embrace balance and celebrate different foods in moderation? Do you label foods as good or bad? Do you label yourself as bad for choosing to eat a certain food or cheating? Do you earn foods by exercising and eating healthy? Do your family celebrations revolve around food? These are tough questions, friend. Be kind to yourself. Choose one thing you'd like to work on and just start there. Well, it's time to welcome back Pastor Brian to the show, pastor of Bay Area Church and Bay Area Christian School in League City, Texas. Brian, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Well, today we're talking about disordered eating, and teens today are bombarded with messages of body image, especially through that filtered lens on social media portraying completely unrealistic and unattainable standards. But I think, oh, this is a little controversial, but let's go here, shall we? Church emphasis on modesty culture can create negative messages as well. So, How can the church create a culture that prioritizes the inward condition of the heart over the outward condition of the body? Do you (laughs) dare answer this question, Brian? (laughs) I will. I'll answer it from a parent perspective first, Um, because we have three girls. So we have lived in the, uh, and they're different ages, 23 to uh, 15. Mm. Which it doesn't sound like a big age gap, but their cultural experiences have been radically different between 23 and 15. And they've all gone to a Christian school, all been in churches that I've been either been a pastor at or the pastor at. Um, and so they have experienced the the oddity of modesty culture when it comes to to females only. That's that's what I notice about the church is that it's applied to females in hyper ways and then they say nothing about the guys, which I don't don't totally get all that. And uh, so 
as a parent, we have worked hard with our kids. Like, it's not about how you're dressed as much as it is the condition of your heart and the condition of your heart will drive probably how you present yourself uh, in lots of ways, not just the clothes you wear. Um, the church, I think, through youth ministry and the fear of sexual immorality mm. has just like over time, it was, I think, worse in the 90s and like th through the first decade of, mm -hmm. of the 2000s, um, it really made it where like, like women need to be aware that they're causing men to stumble, which is backwards because because we need to be saying to men like what is the condition <laughs> of your heart right and so these are heart issues that you can't you can't cover up with uh cloth and so um and so as as a churches we really need to to get to the heart of the matter so to speak and focus on um what is it about each other um and how we respect each other and honor each other, that really, uh, really matters. I do think that social media coupled with an unhealthy modesty culture drives eating disorder. Mm -hmm. it's, it may not be the sole cause. I realize like trauma and abuse and all those kinds of things can play, but these are two factors, I think that just kind of, heap snow on the snowball uh, related to eating disorders. I agree. And that's been my own personal experience. You know, I have two teenage daughters as well and heard the same frustrations about why don't the boys have to have mm -hmm. the same standards for swimsuits. But even one of my daughters uh, was on a, a youth camp trip and some, one of the sponsors said something to her about her leggings that really made her question what her body looked like mm -hmm. and how she should feel about that. And I mean, to this day, she doesn't wear leggings. And mm -hmm. I think we don't recognize the power of our words in that. And just the same way as parents, we don't recognize the power of our words and the messages we give about body images at home. So in Behind Closed Doors, I tread very gently because it's so tough for us to see as parents, but I explore the ways our negative parenting behaviors create conditions that are ripe for disordered eating. Ugh, that is, that's a hard thing. It is. What do you say to parents who maybe don't see that? or do see that and are just feeling so guilty? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think there's a tendency with our kids to expect uh, perfection in ways, uh, in every way, academically, athletically, artistically, all these ways. Um, and often I hear stories of particularly young women who in their home growing up were told like, like your brothers can have that, but, mm. but you shouldn't eat that, you know, because you're going to get fat. Like something, you know, horrible about this soft serve ice cream cone right. that's going to ruin your life. And so those kinds of messages 
uh, I think based on uh, a culturally influenced need for image, mm. but they drive eating disorders hard. And it, I, I, I like to th- say it's those kinds of messages that we propagate at home that actually set kids up for, uh, for eating disorders as a way of coping with pain mm-hmm. when pain does come like trauma or abuse or any of those things. They, they look for ways to control. And we've been telling them, don't eat that ice cream cone or whatever. And they can control that. That's right. And so then they hyper control that uh, in many different ways, which you know better than I do. And uh, it becomes such a detriment in their life. And so I constantly, we in our own home, uh, our kids are all different. That's all girls in our house, except for me. They're all different (laughs) shapes, sizes, heights, all of it. Um, And we have tried to propagate the message, like God created us all differently, unique ways. It doesn't mean we've we've been exempt from from these issues with our girls. And so um, we have to be wise about how we message issues related to food. Um, It's also my experience that baby boomers and Gen X who are parents and grandparents now, um, their experience as children was often generally dysfunctional when it came to uh, food and what they were eating they're eating so it's easy to propagate that in the next uh the next generation and 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 sadly eating dysphoria i mean eating disorders and body dysphoria have become just so epidemic we see it over and over we do and and that's such a hard thing because one of the questions i ask is that your kids can probably tell you the part of your body that you're the most self-conscious about and that's powerful messaging. It's not like you go around and say that, you know, like, oh, I don't like to wear sleeveless shirts or, you know, th- that kind of thing. But they watch what we do. The good news is they can watch our faith. And sometimes I think for parents who are struggling with eating disorders, these are some of the most deeply rooted difficult behaviors because kids with disordered eating, they deny, deny, deny. Mm -hmm. They're usually high achieving. Uh, They usually look perfect on the outside like you were talking about, but they're the most deadly eating Mm -hmm. mental health disorder there is. So what about those parents through all of these issues, really? Just taking a global view. In this chapter, I share a story of a father's faith to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. And mm-hmm. then Jesus literally raises her from the dead, right? Little girl, get up. How can we as parents adopt that kind of confident faith and healing for our teens? Yeah. I think that comes in knowing God. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you're going to know that I've repeated this same mm-hmm. thing over and over again. But but that kind of faith and that kind of hope isn't birthed in a moment, it comes in trusting God day in and day out through the highs and the the lows. And so I think that consistent, constant relationship with God uh, through his word and prayer gives us the ability to exercise that kind of faith when one of our own 
are deeply struggling with something that it feels like they're so constricted that they'll never get out of this bondage that they're in. It's, it's those many days of walking with God that gives us the hope that he can deliver them from that. He may do it a number of different ways, miraculously, like you just talked about, all the way to using the people around them to, uh, to exercise freedom in their life uh, through methodology, through science, through all kinds of ways, prayer. Um, it's, it's the daily and uh, it's the normal days of trusting God that build into that, that ability in the moment when it's, it's bleak to trust and have hope. Well, that's what I said in the closing of the devotional. As Christians, if we believe that God created the world and he sent his son to be born of a virgin who died for our sins and rose from the dead and lives in heaven and is going to come back for us one day, how can we not have faith that he cares about our kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I tell parents all the time, look, I'm not a perfect dad. You're not a perfect mom, but God is a perfect father and he knows them better than we know them. And he has the ability to take what is so feels so destructive in the moment and redeem it and make it part of their story that actually helps other people down the road and and bring them freedom along the way so so good such great words of wisdom delivered with grace and truth thank you so much for being with us mm -hmm. thank you we hope you join us next time here's your homework Read chapter 12 of Behind Closed Doors and do all the activities. Your legacy letter is an opportunity to pass down family recipes. For families who find food-related activities triggering, there is an opportunity to write a thank you letter to your body. I know, many of you are probably thinking that sounds really weird. Well, we've stepped out of our comfort zone quite a few times in this journey, so why not have an adventure and try something new here at the end? You just might learn something about yourself. Find me on Spotify and check out the healing-themed playlist. Last, subscribe at drnursemama.com to access all the resources waiting just for you. See you next time on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, home of happy parents and healthy teens. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama show. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. You can find Pastor Brian at brianhaines.org or on Facebook at Dr. Brian Haynes. Tune in next time and invite a friend.